Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Because you're worth it. If you think you deserve a pay rise this year, don't sit down with a boss until you've heard how to get one from the lips of our money mentor. If you do one thing with your money this year, what should it be? January is a time full of good intentions, short-lived diets and detox programmes, but what quick fix could you apply to generate financial health, wealth and happiness in 2016? And for female UK listeners who were born in the 1950s, will this week's parliamentary debate on changes to the state pension age offer any chance of a last-minute boost to your pension? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form, with the help of my FT Money colleagues Naomi Rovnik and Josephine Cumbo, plus our money mentor Lindsay Cook and special studio guest Algie Hall, tips editor of the Investors Chronicle. Now, when was the last time you had a pay rise? With the bills from Christmas coming in thick and fast, no wonder that January is the month that most people wish they could get one. We're here to make our dreams more likely to become a reality is our money mentor columnist Lindsay Cook, whose column this week is called, quite simply, How Do I Get a Pay Rise? Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. The jaw-dropping opening argument of your column this week is that in your years of experience in management at the top of large organisations, the people who got pay rises were seldom the people who deserved them. Why is this? The plain truth is, most people do not ask for a pay rise. We're very British. We expect our bosses to recognise the extra hours, the extra clients we bring in, the extra work we achieve. We don't think it's very nice to go and say, excuse me, um, he's earning more than me. Can I have some more? So I reckon a very large proportion of people never crossed my door over many years to ask for a pay rise. Those who did weren't always the most deserving, but they were the loudest. And you know what? It was very difficult to turn them off because their immediate line managers didn't like to say no. There's a cowardice there. If somebody's asked, you don't like to say no, you don't want them to leave and go somewhere else, and you have all the time and effort of recruiting a replacement. Now, you've been in a position where people have asked you for pay rises and you've knocked them back. So if I said, Lindsay, can you pay me more money? as I can't afford to buy a home in London, would this be an argument that would fall on deaf ears? I would be sympathetic. I would hopefully give some background on maybe you ought to widen your search a little, uh, <laughs> look at the cost of travelling from somewhere else and maybe working off peak hours so you could get cheaper train fares. But I did on occasions get asked for 
pay rises because train fares had gone up, mm. uh, a baby was imminent, or because the person wanted to buy a bigger house. And, you know, big houses aren't a God-given right. They are not something your employer is obliged to enable you to get. The vast majority of people in the London area are struggling to get a home and they have to look at different ways of doing it. I might even say, um, have you considered taking a second job to save the deposit? Ah, well, surely to put your argument in the basis of need is the wrong approach. So if I'm in the 80% of staff who you estimate are too reticent to ask for advice, how should I approach this? What preparation should I do? And crucially, what should I base my argument upon? Well, it's a business case. It's a sale. Um, you need to bring to the party all the improvements you've made in the, the previous year or two years or since you were last reviewed for a pay rise. Are your sales figures good? Have you introduced a new system of doing things? Are the things you can bring to the party that you haven't done yet? So, hey, I haven't been promoted yet, but here there's an opportunity for us to expand into this market and I know all about it. You give the person who makes the decision a reason to tick the box that gives you a pay rise. And taking on additional responsibilities is another way that you can lever up your dough. Absolutely, and you make it clear, because often the person who makes the decision about a pay rise is not the immediate line manager. Sometimes line managers might take credit for work that their subordinates do. So you need to make it clear what you do. You don't speak against your boss, but you make it clear exactly what you have brought to the party and so they can assess that they wouldn't like to lose you. And that's the name of the game. What if they still come back with the word no? It may be that they know something you don't about the annual figures, about losses in another part of the business, that really nobody's getting a pay rise. I've been in a company where no recruitment took place because one unit was being closed down. It was just a blanket ban. They say no now. You've opened the negotiations. You thank them ever so nicely. You tell them that you are going to continue to work hard because you love the company. You may feel that is right. You may feel you now want to check the marketplace and see if you could get a better paid job. They know you are a little bit restless. So if they can do something, they will. Keep the dialogue open. Next time you have a big success, you've just sold a million pounds worth of widgets. A little email or note to the person who makes the pay decisions would go well. And finally, we women seem to be the worst at asking for more. What's your final word on this gender issue? I'm afraid I was among those people. I thought for years that everything I was bringing to um, my work was being noticed. And I can remember one Friday afternoon going to my boss and saying, I'd like either a pay rise or a promotion because I've been doing this job and I want to either be the best in this job or to move into a greater job. And I got a flat well, very surprised. I didn't know you were ambitious, Lindsay. You've got young children, Lindsay. I'm divorced. That's because I've had a big job. I don't think you want to lose your, your marriage because of your employment ambitions. But on the Monday morning, when I arrived at the office at 7.30, he'd been there since six. He'd gone home, told his fiance what he'd said to me, and she said, you can't say that. And I, I had three promotions within a year. Well, that's fantastic news. Thank you very much, Lindsay Cook, the FT's Money Mentor columnist. You can read her full column 
on how to secure your pay rise in FT money this weekend. Still to come on the show are women of a certain age due a pension's windfall. Before that, January is traditionally the month of overhaul to our diets, our exercise regime and perhaps to the way we manage our own money. But just as we tire of going to the gym and eating kale every day, we challenged more than 20 FT money columnists and financial experts to tell us the one thing that they'd advise you did with your money this year to ensure that your investments, rather than your waistline, are putting on the pounds. I'm joined by Algie Hall, Tips Editor of the Investors Chronicle, and Naomi Rovnik, FT Money's Digital and Communities Editor, to chew the fat. Firstly, Algie, thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Very pleased to be here. Well, your advice to readers is to turn detective on dividends to ensure against a financial flop in 2016. Tell us more. Yes, that's right. We, we've seen... Um, a lot of our really um, the blue chip mainstream income shares come a bit unstuck in 2015 and before then as well. Even you know doubt creeping in about big names like Vodafone and Galaxa and the sustainability of their payout. And what we've also seen is the market's got more expensive. Mm. Is that the cover? Uh, we we look at something called dividend cover, which is the amount of earnings a company actually has left over after it's paid everything else to pay its dividend. And that this cover on dividends has been falling. And looks a bit shonky now for a lot of the big companies. If you've got income stocks, which you've, you've just taken as red, it's definitely worth checking out what's actually going on with the company, whether they've got the cash flow as well as the earnings to support those payouts. And um, there could be more nasty surprises in 2016. OK, so check out the level of dividend cover on those stocks that you have in your portfolio. Very sensible advice. Although one of our other commentators, FT Money columnist Terry Smith, the founder of Fundsmith, has suggested a more passive approach for those who perhaps accept they can't devote as much time to their investments as they wish. Now, he's advising readers to buy an investment that they can forget about. What do you think about that? If you're holding individual stocks, you really need to pay attention to what's going on with them. That's one of the reasons, because if you want to actively manage and try and make more money out of your shares, you need to keep an eye on what's going on. But if not, a passive strategy can be great. You can look to reshuffle it every year to try and keep your allocations right, which is introducing a kind of some some active management into the strategy, which should work well over time. I think Terry's also suggesting buying a portfolio of uh, shares, which you can forget about, essentially. Yeah. Probably if you're thinking about doing that, you want to buy uh, a portfolio of shares that someone else is keeping an eye on. Probably Terry (laughs) Smith managing his very successful Fundsmith funds um, (laughs) has that in mind. And also, actually, I think something interesting about the year ahead is that a lot of these classic buy and hold, real safe, high quality uh, shares, they've actually got really quite expensive. People have attributed this to to people moving out of bonds and buying this type of equity. And we could be seeing this year, or we are seeing, that there's a lot more valuation risk in these stocks. So even though these may still continue to be quality companies, if something um, fairly minor goes wrong, we could see fairly large share price moves just because there's a lot of valuation ground to give up. The valuation itself wouldn't trigger a fall, but if something else does, it could be a risk factor. Could be bad news for the bond proxies. Well, on the riskier side, some of our experts are advising the one thing you should do in 2016 is to take a contrarian view with several urging readers to put cash aside ready to pounce on oil and commodity stocks if they hit bottom this year. Now, you're the tips editor of the Investors Chronicle. It's your big moment in the sun this (laughs) Saturday. The IC's tips of the year bumper issue is coming out. 
Will you be telling us to jump into these sectors? Can you give anything well, away? Well, the tips of the year last year did very well. They outperformed by uh, 22%. And um, it's actually the fifth year on the trot of outperformance from the tips of the year. But, Pay um, rise for Algae Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be there banging on the editor's door tomorrow. But, um, <laughs> but, but one of the reasons we outperformed so much last year was a- avoiding commodity stocks. We've looked at the situation again carefully and we, we just feel far too nervous about getting in. And the other issue with trying to buy at the bottom is that um, there have been quite a lot of uh, studies by psychologists on, this okay. kind of, on the kind of mentality we have. And we are predisposed to be very bad at this element of market timing. Actually, if, if we look back at the past year, we can see several um, points where you could have bought in and felt like a genius for, you know, a couple of weeks or a month and only to rue the day a bit later on. So finding the bottom of the market is an incredibly hard thing to do. And probably the best thing for most investors, unless they have a very clear opinion and which they're very comfortable with and a strategy to approach buying at the bottom, probably the best thing to do is just wait till they see a bit of momentum in the market, a bit of sustained momentum, which suggests there really is a recovery underway. I mean, that in itself isn't an easy thing to do, but it's better to be late at the party for most of us and avoid um, those big losses on the way down than it is to jump in and risk being too early. Well, good advice there from Algie Hall. Turning now to Naomi Rovnik, when it comes to our personal finances, there are three top fixes that you'd like to suggest to our readers for this year. One of them has a deadline attached. Yes, this comes actually from Josephine Cumbo, our award-winning pensions correspondent, multi-award winning this year. She says higher earners, so people earning above the tax threshold there, should be very conscious of April's budget because the Chancellor, George Osborne, has his eye on cost savings. And one of the ways he's going to try and save money for the government is to take it out of higher earners' pensions, basically. Pensions, you have something called the lifetime allowance, which governs how much you can build or pay into a pension. That's going to fall, isn't it? While you benefit from tax relief, absolutely. That drops from 1.25 million to 1 million. That seems like a lot of money, but say if you're a doctor or a civil servant in your 50s, you may be hitting that lifetime allowance. So you have to look very carefully at this because any savings above that allowance, even though it's your pension, will be subject to a 55% tax charge. What you can do, however, is take advantage of something called carry-forward rules. They allow any unused pension allowances from the three previous tax years to be used into the current tax year. You could pay, according to Josephine, 180000 into your pension before April. So before April, if you're a higher earner, if you're hitting the one million mark, and you, you may not feel like a millionaire, but if you've worked in a professional job or you're in a final salary scheme, you could well be almost there. If you have £180,000 that you can move from something else, I, you know, we would very much suggest doing so to protect yourself. OK, well, that's a very good idea. A second suggestion, which will apply to pretty much every reader, certainly those who own a property, is prepare to remortgage. Absolutely. Now, mortgage debt is obviously really cheap. Um, and you might think, well, why should I pay off my mortgage? It's more, it's more sensible to pay off an expensive mortgage because you're, say you've got a 7.5% interest rate. You could be basically earning yourself 7.5% by doing something risk-free. But there's another way to look at this. And this is that if you overpay now when interest rates are low, which means you've got some spare money because your mortgage is cheap, that will earn you loads of money in interest in the future. According to Emily Cadman, one of the FT's economics experts, she says that a one-off overpayment of £2,000 on a 
£300,000 mortgage at 2.5% with 20 years remaining would save you £13,200 in interest alone over the life of that mortgage. And that would enable you to clear your mortgage debt in full nearly three years earlier. So you've got three extra years of rest or retirement or doing what you like because you're not shackled to a mortgage if you make a one-off overpayment of £2,000. Now, you can't go wrong with that. That's a fantastic calculation. And finally, while January is the peak time for divorces, you think it's high time we broke up with our banks. Absolutely. There is no reason these days to have a long-term relationship with or be married to your bank. They are not loyal. A bank will be loyal to you to get you in. It will bat its eyelashes and give you a ridiculously good interest rate on your current account or some fantastic rates on long-term savings. But be very careful because most of these deals last a year. So if you're savvy and you've got the time, you have to be a bank tart. You have to cheat, you have to be as you have to treat them as they treat you. There's so, no, there's no two ways to it. So the wannabe bank tart, what are the best <laughs> deals on the market quickly? I like First Direct. It's a very decent integrated offer. They've got a good reputation for customer service and they're offering £150 cash to people who switch to their current account via moneysupermarket.com. That's at the time of recording. Anything else? They have a linked regular savings account that pays 6% annual interest for the first 12 months. Note, 12 months. They're nice, but not that nice. The account also has a £250 interest-free overdraft facility and it requires minimum monthly funding of £1,000. The annual benefit with the cashback for switching gives you £267 in a year. That's pretty good for a current account. And you could probably use it to overpay your mortgage. Well, Absolutely. We've got lots more suggestions on banks, on property, on personal finances and philanthropy, even in this week's issue of FT Money, with over 20 experts giving their top recommendations on action to take. And whilst you're in the newsagents, why not pick up a copy of the Investors Chronicles bumper tips of the year issue as well? Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read online ft.com slash money and follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Millions of women born in the 1950s have seen their working lives extended by the rise in the state pension age, which used to be 60, but started to rise in 2010 and is set to equalise with men at age 65 by late 2018. Then, the pension age for men and women will begin to rise again to reach age 66 by the year 2020. However, campaigners have accused previous governments of not communicating these changes clearly enough to women, leading some retiring only to find that they have to wait several years for their state pension to kick in. Now, FT Money has been covering this story closely and I'm joined in the FT studio by Josephine Cumbo, our pensions correspondent. Jo, thanks for joining us today. Morning. Firstly, you wrote over Christmas about the impact of these changes on female wannabe retirees, some of whom say they feel suicidal about their financial predicament. Yes, the essence of the concerns that have been raised by many women is that they weren't given adequate notice about changes which extend back to 1995 when the government of the day made the decision that the state pension age, which had been 60 for women since the 1940s, was going to begin to rise to 65 to equalise with men. Now, that didn't start until 2010, but the the problem was that there wasn't uh, any letters written to women at the time until 2009, officially starting to alert them. The government made the decision. It was reported in the media at the time, but there wasn't a widespread campaign. So women uh, have been affected by that decision since 2010, but it was compounded 
to some degree by a subsequent decision by the coalition government in 2011 to speed up the timetable of increases from 65 to 66, which in effect added up to two years for some, for some women, the wait to get their state pension. And many women were shocked by that. The government did make a concession and slowed down that proposed increase in the timetable so people would only wait 18 months. But for many women, they're saying they're only just finding out, uh, they're ill and they want their pension. Which brings us to the debate that's happening in Parliament this week, unfortunately prior to our podcast being recorded. But could this result in the compensation that campaigners have been clamouring for? Well, the compensation that a campaign group called Women Against State Pension Inequality is seeking from the government is to effectively have the state pension age restored to 60 for women, any woman born from after April 6, 1951, who's been affected by changes to their pension. So that would claw back for, for many women years that they say of pension that they missed out on. It could be thousands of pounds and it could amount to billions and billions and billions of pounds. And the government has said, no, we're not going to revisit that. What's on the table at the moment and what a couple of political parties are suggesting is that the government could consider some transitional provisions for women who have been most acutely affected by the decision in 2011 to speed up the timetable in effect, which added another 18 months for women really born from 1954 onward. Okay, and where do the main political parties stand on this issue? The Labour Party, where a lot of their MPs have been campaigning to bring this agenda right into the heart of Parliament, and they're going to have a debate on Thursday, which is quite an achievement to push it right up to that level of the political agenda, and they they support the rollback of the pension to 60. What's complicating the situation for Labour is that they were in power from 1997 Mm. to 2010, and over that period, they didn't write any letters. They didn't do, well, actually, they didn't do a lot to alert women. So they, they've said that the case for women who are complaining or concerned about the 2011 changes is much stronger than the 1995 Act. OK, well, thanks there to Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent. You can follow our coverage of this evolving story on ft.com slash money. Don't forget, We've added a second date where readers can meet John Lee, the FT's long-standing My Portfolio columnist at our central London offices, where you can enjoy a glass of wine and quiz him on his small-cap investment strategy. To be held on the evening of Monday the 25th of January, tickets cost £25 plus a small booking fee. To obtain one, I've still got a few left, email me money at ft.com. We'd love to know what you think about the stellar growth of Lord Lee's portfolio or how to allocate your investments better in the year 2016, you can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com or you can tweet us at ftmoney and you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. The Money Show is produced in London by Adam Palin. We will be back next week but for now it's goodbye from me, Algie Hall, Naomi Rovnick, Lindsay Cook and Josephine Cumbo. Goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources. 
uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.